Every day during this great and terrible pause, Cood Street is spending 10 minutes or so with readers and book lovers from around the world, asking them what they're reading and what they'd recommend to anyone with a bit of time on their hands. Today I'm spending 10 minutes or so with a world fantasy winning writer who has spent the past decade hearing stories in the dark and writing them down, Robert Shearman, who joins me from somewhere in the far and distant north. Hello, Rob. Hello there. How are you, how are you Jonathan? You all right? I'm fine, you know, a little Good. bit kind of frazzled by it all, but but fine. Well, uh, how, how are you bearing up in the time of pandemic? Well, it's been odd for me because I've actually had it. Um, I was mm. I had it for about a month, Ooh. sort of on and off, which wasn't great. And it means that your brain gets a bit fried. I mean, the actual illness is it's a week. But after that, you just have this brain fog and you can't really concentrate on things very well. And and Britain is it's rubbish. I mean, we're dealing with the pandemic as about as well as we deal with. There's anything here in Britain at the moment. Like Brexit. I, mean, I mean, I mean, we have become the stupidest nation in the world. So we're That's only a just big call it's, there, Rob. It's, yeah, I, I know, um, but I'm going to stick with it because <laughs> I really, truly are. So um, I, I, I mean, fine. I think. I mean, now that I've come out of it, I I feel quite quite chirpy. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the worst thing about that, of course, is that I sort of half expect now that the crisis is over because I'm I'm well mm-hmm. and then you look outside and people are still scared and they're still wearing masks and I think oh it's okay everybody don't worry because I survived and, <laughs> and, and it turns out the it came thing, down to. yeah it turns out it, the whole global thing wasn't only about me <laughs> and and I kind of resent that I think I think we're okay. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I do miss real life. Yeah. And I'm hoping that at some point we'll get that back without trying to be selfish about it. But well, it'll come. It's a difficult balance. Yeah, it, it, it'll come. So given that we're somewhere between 70 days and 10,000 years into being locked away, you yep. know, were, were you productive before? Were you, were you writing and working or was it really just kind of <sighs> get through yeah, everything? I mean, I, I was doing a few TV things and uh, some film stuff, and I was traveling a bit to do that. And I had I had a novel that I was researching, which required me going abroad a bit. And the worst thing, really, is that all the TV and film work has just been shelved um, because yeah. production halts. And there's no guarantee that things which were in development will still be in development in 12, 18 months when things probably get back on a natural footing. Because I think the way that art works is that people decide that they want to be to be re-excited to, to be to be re-enthused and things and going back to old work never really excites people very much so you're always aware that there's a there's a danger that i mean it's like looking at tv shows which are currently just being put into hiatus you wonder how many are genuinely going to come back because people will say yeah well we made that <laughs> let's do something new and, and 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 i think actually when we come out of this i think that there will be a natural artistic impetus to try and breathe some fresh air and i don't think necessarily that stuff that you were doing before is what you're going to go back to so we'll wait and see i mean i i, I was quite busy now i'm catching up upon the commissions that i can still do yeah yeah which tend to be some prose work and some stuff for bbc radio and um and that's fine but it's yeah it's it's trying to juggle those different expectations now that's interesting because what i'd kind of thought was that the one area in television and film that would still be working is what you do the the writing and planning and and you know getting ready before you go back to camera i thought that that's what you could do now but what you're really saying is you got well, to keep people engaged and they're just not focused on it. 
I mean, I mean, what I'm trying to do now with my co-writer uh, for the TV work is we're trying to create new things that we can surprise people with when they want to listen to us again. So, so you can still do that, but you're also aware that part of I mean, it, it's like anything. Once you realise that there's an actual purpose to writing something, and there's an expectation that that's going to be made or that's going to be put into development, it does give you a greater reason for doing it than just sort of saying, "Well, let's just." play around with some ideas that maybe in 12 months time we might turn into something because that, that's the point you just start not talking about work so I mean, it, it becomes a different way of trying to make yourself disciplined um and that's what i'm currently trying to get right again i mean i i am writing again which is good that's good i found it very difficult for a little while but that's also partly because i wasn't very well but now i i, th- I think that my brain's in the right place sort of <laughs> but um but it's hard some some days you wonder what's it all for and and also it's that odd thing that you start trying to work out that you're telling stories for a world that seems to have vanished it'll come back and you're not entirely sure that the world yeah i mean it it will come back but it will come back in a slightly different mm. way and i think with different um different attitudes in part i mean i find that if i'm watching old tv or films i'm just I, I don't care what the plots are anymore. I just worry about how close people are standing next to me. I mean, <laughs> it just seems like, like everyone's just being crazily stupid all the time. And I think that that is going to have an effect in some ways upon the stories that we want to tell immediately. So, so, so you, you, you figure yeah. that the idea of standing too close in the film will be like watching someone smoke in a movie from the 50s. Yeah, yeah, it's like that. But, but, but I mean, I, I, I was watching The Simpsons a few days ago, an old Simpsons, and they're just cartoon characters who are yellow. And I was genuinely wincing because they were all on the school bus, throwing things at each other and just running around. And I thought, they're all going to die. <laughs> to die. And I, and, and I got very worried for them. And it was a Simpsons from the 1990s. And I was just, I, I was actually angry at them. That's very compassionate of you. Well, let me yeah. ask you. Uh, now that mm. you're recovered, are you reading? And if so, what are you reading and is it any good? I'm, I'm reading a few things. Um, the first thing I decided to do when lockdown started was I thought I, 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 I wanted to try and tackle some really great colossi of world literature, which I'd always been meaning to read, but had never got round to. And I, I've, and I, and I collect penguin classics. I've got about a thousand different penguin classics here because I just like the black spines and I, and I love the idea that I'm intelligent by owning them. <laughs> and I decided I'd always wanted to try and read a really good adventure story mm-hmm. like The Count of Monte Cristo by Alexandre Dumas. So I thought, and, and it's massive and it's a hundred and 19 long chapters and i thought well let's just read that because it's that that's going to be something which i should now try and accomplish and i have finished that now um (laughs) and i did enjoy it though it's not quite what i thought it was going to be Mm -hmm. i mean it's it's a book basically of four quarters and the first and the final quarter are fascinating and the second and third quarter the count basically goes to the opera quite a bit and, <laughs> and takes a lot of drugs. I mean, he takes a lot of drugs. <laughs> I had not realized that was part of the book. And at the time when I reached those bits when I was reading it, I was a bit delirious and I thought I was probably imagining it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there were these <laughs> sections where they go to a cave and just take an awful lot of hashish. And I just thought, am I really reading this? 
Because I think I'm probably not now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. I think it's a terrific book. Uh, I do recommend it. And I read, of course, the unexpurgated Penguin Classics version. And perhaps the way to do it is to read a slightly more abridged version. But I thought that, but, but, but some of it is just, just sensational. And I, and I, and I do recommend it. Okay. Excellent. But, um, but, but be aware that he takes his sweet time about getting around <laughs> to some of those revenges. I mean, I'm, I'm quite shallow. I thought he got out of, out of his prison. He would go after those people who put him in there and he spends the next few years just taking them to the opera in a sort of passive aggressive way. <laughs> <laughs> and you shouldn't, I think actually, and I think it's, it's, it's a nature of the lockdown. I shouldn't be reading the book envying the Count of Monte Cristo. <laughs> Thinking, yeah, okay. I mean, he's suffering a bit, but at least he can meet people. (laughs) (laughs) But but I I did enjoy it a lot. Excellent. So, the Candy Monte Cristo. Anything else you've been reading, or has that been been uh, all over the reading? I could understand if it was. Well, well, the other great epic I'm reading at the same time as that, and it is a very, very different epic. I decided to read the complete Peanuts. (coughs) I'm reading all of. Charles M. Schultz, um, I'm a big fan of anyway, but yeah. he, he, he did 18,000 peanut strips from 1950 to, to his death. I mean, in, in an almost very strange way, the, the last strip appears the day before he dies. He did actually retire a few weeks before, yeah. but it just happens the time that way. So it really marks 50 years of a man's creative life. Mm-hmm. And I read, and I read three months of those in bed before going to sleep. And there is this sort of strange developing melancholia through the years, which I yeah. find really hypnotic. I mean, it does actually feel like, I mean, obviously it, it's, it's a group of gags yeah. a lot of the time, but there is a sort of strange novelistic growth, which you only really get when you read this, this one man's entire creative output stretched over these you know, these 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 um recurring characters that he grows to love and retools and and and, and reimagines it's it's a, it's a really extraordinary thing to do and i'm really enjoying it excellent actually. i find it very very i find it very very inspiring it's a lot of peanuts a lot of peanuts it is a lot of peanuts yes <laughs> but still but the psychiatrist also- will be in yeah, no, no. Actually, I haven't reached that point yet. I mean, I mean, Snoopy at this stage, I've now reached 1958, and Snoopy is still nothing like the sort of the Snoopy I grow to despise later. Because <clears> I, because I, I do find Snoopy becomes just a jerk most of the <laughs> most of the run. He's just this bastard, really. Yeah, yeah. But at this stage, actually, he's still quite a lovable dog. And, <laughs> and, and, and I like early Snoopy. Yeah, before he starts, he's not yet flown into World War One yet, or started to seduce imaginary waitresses in occupied <laughs> France. He's not done any of that yet. He's just he's just being a dog who occasionally wants to be an alligator. I mean, you have to give him some credit for that. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm hugely enjoying it. Oh, good. Yeah. Excellent. Well, let me ask so what, you. See, what, yeah, what were you saying? No, no. Um, you, you're going to ask something. Well, I was. What I was going to say was if you've been reading Dumas and uh, Schultz. Yes. What would you recommend to people to read at the moment? What would you suggest? I mean, I've been talking about a dichotomy between Proust and Pratchett, the worthy read as opposed to the comfort read. Obviously, you have to some degree taken a joint, a conjoined course. Are there yes. things you'd recommend, recommend people to seek out uh, at the moment? 
Yeah, um, I, I decided, um, again, one of those lockdown things that I would, it'd be quite fun to try and read the, the, the sort of Booker Prize International, uh, shortlist, mm-hmm. which I always mean to do and never quite get around to doing properly. And I'm, therefore, I'm, I'm, I'm reading Till by Daniel Kaleman, mm-hmm. uh, which is, who's a German novelist who wrote, who wrote a terrific book some years ago called, called, called um, um, Measuring the World, which is really good. And this is a strange, comic, fantastic, phantasmagoric story about a man who's a jester going through the Thirty Years' War. And it mm-hmm. dips around and it feels like sort of sometimes extended weird short stories and, and it, it, and, and it's very funny and it's yeah. also very dark and very, and, and very, very genre. And, and that's, I think, quite an, a sort of quite an uplifting book in a, in, in a funny way. I mean, it's the horrors of war, but, but sort of seen in this very, very amusing, satirical and hugely imaginative way. So I, I, I thoroughly recommend that okay. as a, as a modern read. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also having a tremendous amount of fun at the moment reading every night as well uh, some short stories by Saki. Okay. Night. And Saki is, is is my I think he was my biggest influence when I wanted to be a writer. Um, he's extremely funny. Um, tells extremely short stories, only about three or four pages long, but they're nasty and they're and and, and there's and there's a comic cruelty to them which genuinely after years and years of reading them i've not read them for quite a while actually but i read them when i was like 15 16 years old and just thought they were amazing and i'm reading them now and i'm i'm genuinely astonished by how bold and unpleasant some of them are yeah and and they're great i mean i mean i'm really pulled out of myself thinking i didn't i don't think he could do that and because you you keep reading them and thinking they'll be rather pg woodhousey yeah because it's so witty yeah and then he's just has orphan children being eaten by wild animals <laughs> and it's 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 great fun so I'm, I'm really enjoying that as well it's an interesting metric of fun though rob orphan children yeah. eaten by wild animals but it it's it's you know but fine it's a little bit charles adams but fine so let me ask you this as well i mean mm. you've been working and everything do you have anything coming out in the world he says disingenuously i do have a book um, coming out of the moment, which is, which is a rather strange book, um, which is called We All Hear Stories in the Dark, which is a, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, again, it's a sort of book that maybe lockdown arguably was invented for, because it's a, as long as war and peace, but it's not, but it's not something that you should actually read like war and peace. I mean, the idea is that it's a big choose your own adventure and it's a story about a man who discovers he can only really to have a chance of winning back his dead wife from the grave if he sits in a library and hears the the final 101 stories in the world. But he has to find his own correct order through them because at the end of every story, the woman in the dark will ask him a series of five questions about his response to that story. And of course, therefore, the reader who's also reading the book. So it, it, it's a it's a book about the way in which we respond to different narratives, and you can choose paths which are happy or miserable or horrific or uplifting. And it's and, and the book is trying to find a way in which um, it, it's asking you what sort of reader you are, whilst yeah. also hypothesizing the idea that stories change according to the order in which we read them anyway. So. The, so the idea is that the stories all kind of talk to each other. They all yeah. sort of in, str- in strange different ways overlap. And the, the part of the fun of the book is that 
the labyrinth which I assembled is so complex that the, the mathematical odds against anyone reading the same book you read are so minimal that it's more likely that, yeah. you know, I, I think the odds are something on the lines of every grain of sand on earth multiplied by every drop of water on earth <laughs> against. So you're fairly sure that as you read this sort of, you know, the, the, the book, you're going to find your own book. And and I, I, I like that. I, I think that's a really odd, funny, stupid idea. <laughs> well, actually, that's what I wanted to ask you, because the origin of the project you know, is, can, can be glibly described as a silly, insane commitment you made to write yeah. an original story for each person who bought the limited edition of an earlier book of yours. That That's right, yeah. But I, I'm not sure that really grasps the the cusp of it when did the idea evolve into a broader project because obviously the first one was the original original idea was something you 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 thought perhaps optimistically you could do quite Mm. quickly and get through and get done and then it's turned into this labyrinthine complex project that is a commercial to put it politely um that can't have been what you initially thought. When no, did when did this become the thing that you thought you were doing? Is there a point you can look back on? Yeah, I mean, it was about a year in. I mean, I I thought stupidly that I mean, as as you say, there I, I did a book and there were one hundred copies, and I said that the one hundred people who bought that limited edition, I would write a very short story for, and I began doing that, and then I realised quite quickly that. I didn't want to be writing single paragraph bits of mm-hmm. fiction to write proper stories. And once I began doing that, it became obvious to me that this would take rather longer than I expected. And I had to find some reason for doing it. And then I got a bit stuck with that. And I got very angry with myself because I'd worked myself into a corner. And that in some ways became the point. I mean, I began to realize that this was, I was doing a project about the nature of how I was trying to dance on a, the head of a pin and that it was about the idea of trying to create all these different narratives whilst also respecting the fact that because I was doing that, they were all bouncing off each other. You know, one story would inspire five others. And I thought, this is actually the thing I need to celebrate. This is this is yeah. the point of it. And when I began realising that it was a, psych- a psycho sort of modern day Arabian nights, that I was turning myself into a sort of 21st century um, Scheherazade, well, yeah. um, I thought, I thought, well, that's really what it is. I mean, it's an Arabian Nights, which is a choose an adventure, I thought. And, and it became a practical thing of realizing that, that the stupidest thing in the world would be the expectation that anyone would ever read everything I was doing. So celebrate the idea that it's a book in which it's about abandoning most of the stories. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's as much about the stories which you choose not to read as the ones you do. And you're not meant to read 101 stories. You're meant to read about 25 to 30 maybe if you choose (laughs) if you choose that particular path and and that and that became the fun thing it became therefore pushing myself into areas where I was writing stories which didn't have to be necessarily ticking certain boxes because they could be as far out or as or or as outre as as I wanted them to be because otherwise what was the point of the book I mean I mean if you're into doing 101 stories and they all kind of fit within the same 
basic parameters of, and you think oh this is this is the sort of story he's telling all the time so it was it was making me try and write stuff that i would never normally write yeah. trying to write comedies and horror stories sure. and philosophical pieces and essays and everything i could which was still reflecting upon the same basic sort of themes i was trying to talk about which was mostly you know grief because well, i was writing it in a state of it, it was based upon my parents' deaths. Well, that's, that's the very was, thing I was going to ask you, because yeah. when you describe it, setting aside the labyrinth and Scheherazade, what it sounds like as a project, and I've only read the few stories that have been published already, uh, right. is that it is a creative fight against grief and despair. It's finding yes. ways yeah. to be productive and positive and alive and in the world through story. That's what it sounds like. In fact, that's what that, that says. That the, the critically, the, the framing narrative sounds like that. I I went through a fairly bad time. I mean, I had, um, I don't think she'd mind me saying it, my uh, wife had a, a very bad nervous breakdown. Mm. Um, as I say, my uh, parents died. And I went through, I mean, I went through a very bad year where I could barely do anything at all. And, and the book is... It's a sort of, I think as all writing is actually, I mean, it, it's, it's a, it's an attempt at optimism. Yeah. Because the most pessimistic thing you can do when you're really depressed is simply give up. And the idea that you, that I had to return to this ridiculously <laughs> stupid, fine <laughs> book got me through. And so the stories are about ways in which you try and deal with, with that sort of, um, deflating suggestion of giving up of, of being crushed by the absence of people and the absence of, of, of your own purpose sometimes. And I mean, I'm making it sound now like a tremendously fun read. No, 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 but but it's, it's intriguing because it, I mean, we talked before we started recording about the way creative people, you know, go go through their careers, how they respond to change and success and all these kind of things. And you've had, first of all, this kind of crazy commitment, then this insane Mm. project, and then this, real life thing that happens in parallel over time. And it's obviously yeah. shaped as you've gone on, um, this, the project and what you're doing mm. and all that kind of thing. So that's kind of important and really interesting. And it m- makes me wonder, it's like, obviously, well, hopefully people who are listening to the podcast will go order the book from pspublishing.co.uk. I'll put a link in the show notes. Oh yes. Thank you. Yeah. But, um, Hopefully, I guess what you're hoping is as well, people will find themselves in there, right? Because well, they'll be attracted so. yeah. to these different paths. And I mean, to what extent did you spend a lot of time plotting the paths or were you willing to allow randomness to create them? There's a certain randomness, uh, because it has to be, but I, tr- but I mean, I, I have, I mean, it's very hard to do an actual physical map of hmm. But you can do a sort of theoretical map. You know, you, 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 I had to make sure that every single story had five entry points and five exit points, which were sometimes comical, but sometimes actually philosophical, which connect them to other stories I was already writing or needed to write. And when I finished the first draft of it, which was about three years ago, um, I realized that only about 75 of the stories worked. So I'd have to spend another two, three years now doing another quarter of the book oh, because God. I'd have to throw everything out again. And that was partly because, you know, that's the nature of drafting. Yeah. When you draft a short story normally, you know, the bits you correct are the paragraphs. When you draft a book which is actually using the short stories as sort of like uh, stepping stones, mm. 
and the stepping stones don't work, you've got to throw out all of the stepping stones, even if the stories themselves kind of were okay. Some of them, some of them weren't. They just had to go anyway. And you, and you only actually realize when you've got the map in front of you, what now you're not including in the book that you thought you had. So you then have to go around for the next two years creating stories which fill the gaps which you need because of the way the map now works. <laughs> if that makes any sense it at all. So, and actually those are the stories which I ended up enjoying the most because they're the ones actually which feel and, and, and because what you want is that the book feels like it's a genuine whole. Well yeah. I didn't whole with a W, yes. not a whole yes, with I know. A, a, an entirety. Because, yeah, because yeah, yeah. Because the thing I was most frightened of, and of course this is now what the critics will say, um, is that I didn't want to write a book where people just said, he's just stuck 101 short stories together. I mean, it's basically just that. Um, Because I didn't want it to be that. I want it to be something where you honestly believe that everything you're reading does genuinely connect to different nexus points in the book, and it is actually all... It, it, it is one book. It is it is one artistic sensibility. It was it was quite tricky. It sounds do. tricky, and it sounds it's, like there's a very good chance that you could misreading half of it if you weren't careful. Yeah, and um, it, it was. It's also that awful thing. I've done a few short story collections before, where you can be a bit lazy. Actually, I mean, you look back and you could admit it. You know that a book comes out and you've got maybe fourteen short stories in there, mm-hmm. and after a year, you say, "Yeah, I only like eight of them." I mean, six <laughs> of them. I mean, I just I should have worked harder. I mean, I just stuck them in because, and because you're doing a book which has to be this long and also it's not 101 there are hidden stories there the 101st story is made up of 101 stories itself i mean because <laughs> you just decide it has to play around with things like that yeah you know there are different things which are you know you have to at that point say if you're making it this long and it's and, it, and it's this ridiculously convoluted it has to genuinely be justifiable all the way through and in a way a much shorter book you can get away with saying that short story doesn't really work (laughs) you can't do that with this one i had to make it so that i mean not people won't like all the stories i mean no my my wife hates some of the stories with an absolute passion she we spent an entire holiday in the greek islands where she sulked with me for three days about one of them she (laughs) she hated it that much but i have to be able to justify to myself that that all of them that are in the book i think are actually do have a have a function um and there's nothing there and you normally get it you know that people will read something i mean i mean you must get it i mean i I know you'd never admit it but when people read an anthology for example and they say i've just read this one story from your book and it was that one you think oh don't read that one that isn't the best one (laughs) and i had to i had to make this so that if anyone just picked up a you know and, and went found their own maze and said i read Stories 1, 14, 28, 43, 96, and 4. I'd say, yeah, they're all good. They're all, <laughs> and, and, and that's a valid path. Okay. Rather than thinking, why are you reading all of the crap ones? <laughs> because, because they can't, you know, that I, I can't allow there to be that. So it's, it, it became a book which was very, very hard to let go of. Fair enough. Actually, because oh. I spent so many years writing it. And I guess Nine, what, the whole yeah, chunk of it must be previously unpublished. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, well over half, and some of it in, only in different languages because I let things go out in Czech and Spanish, and mm. so I mean, I, I was allowing stories to come out, but but they've all been rewritten anyway for the book. I mean, sometimes I would let things out and know that they were going to be doing different jobs when I came back to them. So, yeah. so then you just retool them. Um, 
I mean, some of them will be recognisable. I mean, um, but 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 the vast majority not. And they're doing slightly different things now anyway. So, yeah. I mean, hopefully people will enjoy it. We will find out because we all hear stories in the dark is out now or very soon. Um, it's still technically on pre-order. I think it's coming back from the printers any day now. So people will be getting their copies very, very soon. Well, I'm so certainly like eager to see my copy when the time comes. And I yes, encourage everybody to, to leap online and order the remaining few copies such as they are. Thank and, you. Yes, please. And, you know, thank you so much for making time to talk to me today. I Not genuinely all, no, appreciate no, it. Thank you so much as well. Yeah, no, it's been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much. Okay.